Section 6 of The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Exploits and Triumphs in Europe of Paul Morphy, the Chess Champion by Frederick Milnes Edge Chapter 5, Part 1 Morphy in England It is easy to understand that when a man, and especially a young man, feels his strength in any department of thought or action, he will be desirous of putting his abilities to the severest test, so as to take that rank to which he is entitled. Paul Morphy, perceiving that it was a hopeless task endeavoring to induce the chess magnates of the old world to visit America, resolved to cross the Atlantic himself, and it would be difficult to imagine a more chivalric act in one so young than thus embarking on a voyage of many thousand miles, for the sake of finding new antagonists. The journeyings of Il Putino from Italy into Spain to battle with Re Lopez the travels of the admirable Crichton through different countries of Europe are mediocre in comparison with this. But an obstacle stood in the way of the proposed voyage. Paul Morphy was not yet of age, and it would be necessary to first obtain the consent of his family. This was difficult, for, in addition to other reasons, objections were made to our heroes entering on so public a career, interfering, too, as it would for a time, with his legal pursuits. A committee was appointed by the chess club to wait upon Mr. Morphy's family to request their consent to the much-desired voyage, and this was ultimately granted. Strong hopes were entertained in England that the American champion would assist at the meeting of the British Chess Association in Birmingham, and, for that purpose, the committee had offered to place at his disposal a certain sum to cover his expenses. This was not accepted, Mr. Morphy little wishing to travel as a professional chess player. At the commencement of the month of June, the following announcement appeared in the Illustrated London News. Annual Meeting of the Chess Association It was noticed in our columns last week that this event, the Chess Players Derby Day, was fixed to commence on the 22nd of June. The arrangements of the local committee are, of course, not yet complete, but it is whispered that they have succeeded in ensuring the presence of the American chess phenomenon Paul Morphy, an attraction, of itself, sufficient to secure the largest attendance which has been known for years. The date for the assembling of the association was ultimately postponed until the latter part of August, it being feared, with reason, that the sitting of Parliament would interfere with the attendance of many who would otherwise be present. The committee wrote to inform Mr. Morphy of this postponement, and again urging him to visit Europe but he was already en route before the latter reached New Orleans. I was both surprised and gratified when I read the announcement of Paul Morphy's arrival in the Illustrated London News. Now, thought I, these men who do not believe in an American chess master will be convinced. We'll see if Morphy's games are merely pretty, and will not bear the test of analysis, and whether he'll find plenty of matches. I wended my way to the St. George's, feeling confident that I should find Morphy there, and, after waiting a short time, 
I had the pleasure of welcoming him to England. But, having arisen up from a sick-bed to travel, joined to the fatigues of a first voyage across the Atlantic, he did not appear in as good fighting trim as when I had last seen him in New York. On Mr. Staunton's arrival, Paul Morphy asked him if he had any objection to play an off-hand game. Now it is Morphy's almost invariable custom to wait to be asked. The solitary exceptions to this rule, to my knowledge, being in the cases of Mr. Staunton and Harwitz. Mr. Staunton declined the offer on the ground of an engagement preventing, and, notwithstanding that they met frequently at the St. George's, he would never consent to a contest of the most friendly description. Doubtless he was desirous of first observing Morphy's capabilities against other players. The well-known amateur Altair, whose games frequently grace the columns of Mr. Staunton's paper, offered himself as a sacrifice. Altair, however, was not the first to measure skill with the young American. The secretary of the St. George's, Mr. Hampton, having already played two games with him on a previous occasion. Morphy and Altair ultimately effected a score of Altair 1 and Morphy 4. His next antagonist was Mr. Barnes, and the result of their play was, at first, most surprising. During several successive days they scored alternate games, and the London chess world consequently measured Morphy's powers by this antagonist. Ultimately the former recovered from the effects of his voyage, and the proportion was established of 19 to 7, the last 10 or 12 games being scored by Morphy almost without a break. The first challenge which the young American received in London was from Herr Lowenthal. Morphy says that no one can mention this gentleman's name without announcing the fact that he was one of the celebrated triumvirate in the match between Peth and Paris. Herr Lowenthal and the 19th century came arm in arm into the world together, so that he has been contemporary with many who have gone to another sphere. He was led into chess from sheer jealousy, not of a woman, but of a man. At a café in Pest, much frequented by amateurs of the game, in fact the Maguire Café de la Regence, he noticed that a crowd invariably surrounded a certain table after four o'clock in the afternoon, and on further inquiry, he learned that the best chess player in Hungary took upon himself daily to astonish the natives there. That player was Zsen. Zsen was a clerk in the office of archives at Pest, and, when the business of the day was over, he repaired to the above-mentioned spot to play chess for a nominal stake, which never exceeded a Zwanziger, sevenpence English. Another peculiarity of his was that, no matter what the strength of his opponent might be, queen, rook, knight, or pawn player, he never would give any odds. His game was dull, analytical, and sound to a tiresome extent, his only object being to get through the opening and middle, and then winning became a certainty, for all his strength came out in the ending, and a very good place, too, for it to appear in. Zetan went to Paris in 1831 and played some games with Le Bourdonnais at the odds of pawn and move, winning the majority. He then told the great Frenchman that he did not like playing for stakes as a general thing, but that he would propose to him a match of twenty-one even games for two hundred francs. But Le Bourdonnais declined. And who will say he was wrong? For what pleasure could there be in sitting down day after day before the dullest player in Christendom 
for the eventuality of two hundred francs. Zetain was so frightfully slow, even in ordinary games, that he would have worn out two hundred francs worth of his opponent's pantaloons before the match was half through. He was an exceedingly nervous man, and this quality particularly evinced itself during the tournament of fifty-one, to the eminent delight of his London friends. But he was a good-hearted, amiable man, never losing his temper, and ever ready to declare that he hadn't won the game, but his opponent had lost it. We left to ten over a move at the Pest Café. Herr Lowenthal, observing what interest seemed to be taken in chess, thought he should like to try his hand at it, and forthwith pored over such works on the game as he was informed would initiate him into its mysteries. Obtaining a little knowledge, he soon after began playing daily with Tsen, receiving no odds, because, as before stated, Tsen would not give any, upon principle. During eighteen months Lowenthal never scored one game. But whilst Tsen was away on his travels at Paris and elsewhere, he made rapid progress, particularly in the openings, and on his antagonist's return he induced him to give the advantage of pawn and move, and Tsen lost every game. Returning to even play, the latter won the large majority, but with constant practice Lowenthal decreased the distance between them, although he never turned the tables upon his adversary. Herr L. considers that, in their best play, Grimm would win three games to Tsen seven, and four to his six. Most chess players finished Grimm some years back, but he still flourishes down east. After the Hungarian agitation of 1848, he fled into Turkey, and is now settled in Aleppo, where, as he turned Musulman, he no doubt revels. Grimm was a music publisher in Pest, and, according to Herr Lowenthal, a man of high intelligence, being a celebrated pianist and thorough proficient in the German, French, Italian, and Latin languages. He was also renowned as a whist player, and his equal at the billiard-table was not to be found throughout the entire Austrian Empire. His chess was the antithesis of Zsen's, being brilliant but not oversound, qualities which find favor with the gallery, but are dangerous to one's backers in a match. This interesting triumvirate, Zsen, Grimm, Lowenthal, had it all their own way, in Pest, until July 1842, when Alexandre came there, and then they had him too. Alexandre brought his encyclopedia, or the encyclopedia brought him, and both of them got sold in the Hungarian capital. He thought the idea of anybody there beating him simply preposterous, but was irresistibly convinced to the contrary when Grimm and company did it with so much charming facility that he told them they were a match for the Paris Circles de Echecs, and advised them to send a challenge forthwith. The triumvirate were shy at first, then did as they were told, and, to their surprise, the Paris club accepted their defi by return of post, enclosing the first move. The match consisted of two games, and 1,250 francs aside. The reader can learn, on inquiry at Café de la Regence, in Paris, who didn't win it. Herr Lowenthal's business led him twice a year to Vienna, and on those occasions he improved his play with the amateurs of the Circles de Echecs of that capital. In 1846 he won a match of Hampe, beating him nearly two to one. About the same period he visited Breslau, 
and won a majority of games, offhand, from Anderson. He then steered for Berlin. The city of the seven stars, Haderbrandt, Bledow, Bliger, Hanstein, Mayet, Horwitz, and Mendheim. The first of these paladins was absent from the capital, but Herr L. met him subsequently at Vienna, and Heidebrandt won a majority of two games. With Hanstein, Lowenthal effected an even result, but got the better of Mayet. In von der Lasse's absence, Bledow was incontestably the strongest player of the club, but Bledow was jealous of his reputation, and declined opposing the Hungarian, until strongly urged by the members. Herr Lowenthal states that Bledow evinced the greatest generosity. Having a certainly won game, but not wishing to damp a young reputation by defeat, he said, Oh, I suppose it can only be a drawn game, and forthwith made a move which allowed his antagonist to escape and draw the contest. Not many Bledows in this world. In 1849, Herr Lowenthal visited the United States during the contest between Mr. Stanley and Turner. With the latter gentleman he played two matches, winning both, and subsequently accompanied him into Kentucky, where he commenced another with Colonel Dudley, being again successful. Thence he strayed to Cincinnati, where he met his fellow countryman, Colonel Praguet, and traveled with him to New Orleans, carrying a letter of introduction to Mr. Eugene Rousseau. Immediately on arriving he was taken ill with fever, but on recovery he called upon that gentleman and heard, for the first time, of Paul Morphy. Our hero, then but twelve years of age, won two games, drew one, and lost none, and although Herr Lowenthal did not imagine that he thus made the acquaintance of a master, whom he would eventually rank as the superior of every chess player that ever lived, Labourdonnais not excepted, yet he felt satisfied that his youthful opponent would rise to equality with the strongest living amateurs. As proof of this, I will give a paragraph from the era of October 5, 1856, twelve months before Paul Morphy was known outside of Louisiana. Herr Lowenthal writes as follows. Chess in America The progress chess has made in America is almost, if not quite equal, to that which it has achieved in England. This is more than might have been expected, for in a comparatively new country, men may be supposed to be busier and more restless than in an old one and it seems to be rather against probabilities that a game requiring quiet thought and study should have been developed to the same extent as more bustling amusements in america yet that it is so is proved by the fact that in almost every large town there is a chess club and many of these clubs are in communication and play games by correspondence Another proof is also to be found in the number of papers regularly devoting a part of their space to chess, and giving, as the English chess papers do, well-contested games with notes, problems, and chess intelligence. Among the first in rank of these is the Albion, the chess column of which is, we believe, edited by Mr. Stanley, and among the latest of the accessions to the chess ranks we observe Frank Leslie's illustrated paper. In the first rank of the players in New York, between which and Philadelphia a correspondence match is now going on, we may mention Mr. Stanley, Sullivan, Thompson, and Perrin. We must pay some attention to chess in America if we mean to keep our laurels green. The men of the New World are not apt to lag behind when they throw themselves into any pursuit, and if we do not take care, we may have the next chess champion from the far west.
Herr Lowenthal, on quitting the Crescent City, returned to Cincinnati, where he was induced to settle. He opened a smoking and chest even, and was on the high road to fortune, when he received a letter from Mr. Charles H. Stanley in New York, enclosing one from Mr. Staunton. This communication invited Herr Lowenthal to attend the international tournament at London in 1851, and ambition prevailed over cupidity. He, however, got ousted in the first round of the tournay, his antagonist being Mr. Williams, but he turned the tables upon that gentleman soon afterwards by beating him in a set match. When the St. George's Chess Club removed to St. James Street, Herr Lowenthal was elected secretary out of a hundred and forty candidates, and officiated in that capacity during four years. The Era newspaper commenced a chess column in February 1854, and he was selected by the proprietor to conduct it. Our readers know with what success. A few months ago the Illustrated News of the World announced its intention of devoting a column weekly to the game, under the direction of Herr Lowenthal, and he also edits an elementary chess article in the Family Herald. A fair amount of weekly work for one man, especially when his book labors and frequent play at the London, St. George's, and St. James are taken into consideration. The last-named club is his own child, and promises to become one of the most flourishing in the metropolis. Herr Lowenthal did not regard his play with Morphy at New Orleans as any test of their respective strength, but it was not at all agreeable to his feelings to have it recorded against him that he was beaten by a boy of twelve. So, on Paul Morphy's arrival in England, he hastened to challenge him, and of course a match was immediately agreed upon. It was first arranged that the match should be for fifty pounds a side, and the victor he who first scored seven games, but the challenger possessed so many warm friends, all of whom wished to have a share in the stakes, that it was proposed to Morphy to double the amount and increase the number of games to nine. It is lucky that Morphy was not born a woman, for he never says no to any proposition, and he did not to this. Half of Herr Lowenthal's stakes were found by the London, and the remainder by members of the St. George's, and it was stipulated that the games should be played alternately at the rooms of those two clubs. My readers know the result. According to the opinion, or rather the statements, of numerous London players, Herr Lowenthal played much below his usual strength, one gentleman stating that his combinations were unworthy of a rook player even. I was used to this, and liked it. The New Yorkers had uttered similar stuff, saying that Morphy only beat them because he knew the openings better, and I can state on authority that all the players in Europe came to a mutual understanding not to play their game when Morphy was their antagonist. But there was also another reason for the latter's success. He frightened his adversaries, not by his strength, but by his personal appearance. This boy of twenty-one, five feet four inches in height, of slim figure and face, like a young girl in her teens, positively appalled the chess warriors of the old world. Narcissus defying the Titans. Herr Lowenthal was the first one to give Morphy his due. Before the final game in the match was played, he said to me, I felt chagrined at the result of the first one or two games, because I thought that I ought to have won them, but now I feel no longer dissatisfied, for I am convinced that I am vanquished by superior strength. And he has since told me. After the first game I went home saying to myself, Well, Morphy is not so terrible after all. The second partier failed to change my opinion, but in the third I saw all my combinations twisted and turned against me, 
and I felt myself in a grasp against which it was almost vain to struggle. Chess players will shortly see this noble-minded gentleman's opinion of Morphy fully expressed, in a collection of the latter's games, which he has lately been engaged in editing. The following from the ERA newspaper thus announces the result of the match to its readers. Finish of the Great Chess Match The match between Mr. Paul Morphy and Herr Lowenthal came to an end on Saturday the 22nd, the American carrying the victory. Although it was universally remarked that Herr Lowenthal's play was far below his usual strength, it must at the same time be admitted that the play of Mr. Morphy marks that gentleman out as one of the finest players in the world. We shall be glad to see him engage with other great European players, in order that it may be proved which is stronger in the game, the old world or the new. We believe Mr. Morphy is ready to challenge all comers. There is something exceedingly romantic and chivalrous about this young man's coming over to Europe and throwing down the gauntlet to all our veterans. He is certainly a very admirable Crichton of chess, and, like the accomplished Scott, he is as courteous and generous as he is brave and skilful. The Era, August twenty ninth, 1858 End of Section 6